welcome to AIJ Cast, a podcast featuring conversations and performances at the intersection of art, inspiration, and justice. I'm your host, Marthame Sanders. On this episode, part one of our conversation with Kate Morales. Kate is a graphic recorder and visual facilitator, and they joined us from their home in the Bay Area. Just a quick note before we get into that conversation. Kate and I spoke back in February before the impact of COVID-19 and its implications for life as we know it began to sink in. Kate Morales, welcome to AIJCast. I am so pleased to be here. Thank you. You have uh, offered to start us with uh, a grounding practice from cultural somatics, which is something we're going to talk about later. So I would just invite you to lead us through that. Yeah, thank you. I've been using these before I start conversations with people to help ground myself. And I figure if I need it, it might be helpful for others too. Excellent. <laughs> so um, I'll just invite all of us wherever we are to close our eyes or hold a soft gaze or do what we need to do to be able to turn our attention inward to all of the aliveness and flow that's inside of our bodies. And that might lead our attention to our breath or maybe to our heartbeat. And We'll take that attention and drop it down into our haras or our bellies or the dantian, our centers. If we want, you can put a, a hand there. And just send some, some kind regard to the center of our physical bodies. And we'll take a minute to notice and mark any sensations here. Maybe there's some tingling or some weight that can be felt. Maybe there's some gurgling. Just greeting our lower bodies today. And with a couple breaths, we can move our attention down to our legs, through our feet, maybe wiggle our toes. You can rub your legs if you want. And find the places where our bodies connect to our seats or to the floor. Tuning into the gravity that's really warmly receiving us and tugging us towards, towards the earth. And from our centers, we can imagine maybe growing a few roots down through our feet, through the floor, to the earth that's beneath us. where we can tune into a whole subterranean ecosystem that's also present. 
And here I want to honor and give gratitude to all of the spirits and guardians and ancestors of the earth that I'm on. And that each of us are on. Naming particularly the Olone ancestors who have been guardians of this earth that I'm currently living in. <clears throat> and I extend a, a hello and little threads of connection to all of the non-human kin that are also here. And just take a moment to feel witnessed and to simultaneously witness all of the life that's around us and our connection to it. And I would invite you to invite in any other spirits or guides or ancestors or angels who might also be present with you. Beings that are here cheering for our wellness and our thrivance and our ability to carry forth the work that they started. And I'll just take a few moments, maybe a few breaths here to mark all of the resources in this ecosystem that are, that are present. and are invested in our work of transformation. So we'll just say thank you. And without losing connection to them, draw our attention back into our feet, through our legs, through our lower abdomen, Pausing for a few breaths here. And we can, when we're ready, slowly open our eyes to bring ourselves back to where we are in the room, you can look around a little bit. Thank you. Thank you. 
let's talk about what we just did and how that ties to this world of cultural somatics that you've been engaged in recently. Um, tell us a little bit about that field, about what it what it entails. Yeah. So cultural somatics is an emerging field. Uh, my two mentors, Tata Hazumi and Dare Sohei, um, are the founders of it. And I have just completed a year-long mentorship with the two of them. And cultural somatics comes out of or weaves multiple traditions. So there's the somatic tradition of um, therapy that engages the body. Mm-hmm. And there's an underlying sort of premise that trauma lives in the body. And so as we do our healing work, we have to be embodied as we do that. And cultural somatics lays, layers on the proposal that when we are in connection with one another, when we create cultures, when we live in human systems, those cultures have their own bodies. We become a collective body. And that collective body has a soma and it has a nervous system and the trauma that might live in an individual body also lives in a collective body. Hmm. And so it's a way of understanding social change for me. It's totally shifted my theory of change Hmm. as an activist who's come from a, um, you know, fight the power, be in the struggle kind of perspective to, oh, what's actually happening is that systemic oppression is trauma manifesting itself in the cultural body and it needs healing. Hmm. And so it's really shifted my understanding about how to um, make interventions into systemic oppressions. Hmm. for whatever reason, the the place that it took my brain was the study of family systems theory, which I got as a pastor in seminary, this notion of people are individuals, but they are also parts of larger systems, whether that is used in the church world in looking at congregations or looking at, um, in kind of clinical settings, looking at families and family trauma. But also, yeah, looking within society is lar- uh, writ large. And so there's an interesting parallel there with cultural somatics, I think. Yeah, yeah, there are some, some connections for sure. Can you give us an example of something where you have seen that, that vision shift for you? Um, particularly, I think you mentioned as an activist, is there something where you feel like, I used to feel this way about this situation and now I look at it through a different lens? Yeah, well, one of the places that I gravitate towards most often is education. Mm. Um, so for a long time, the ways that I've worked in education is to um, either be pushing back against institutions, particularly like universities and, th- and things like that. So we can kind of identify universities as being structurally designed for only some people to succeed and everybody else to fall it's you know it's a hierarchy so only some people are going to make it um although everyone's going to pay in and uh debt is sort of propagated structurally around the world and i was looking at education from 
from that sense. And culture somatics has invited me to bring it down even um, more granularly, hmm. even into thinking about, so the cultural body as manifested in norms around education has us sitting in desks and in mm -hmm. chairs, mm -hmm. right? So when I'm looking across the table at you, my lower body is completely cut off. Hmm. Like the table itself is an example of a system that has disconnected from the lower part of the body hmm. and is designed for us to only live in our heads hmm. in the upper parts of our bodies. And there's an interesting thing that I'm learning about trauma, which is that the one of the primary signs of trauma in the body is contraction hmm. and uh, rising. So in a traumatic event, my energy contracts and rises. And so anytime there's a disconnection or disassociation uh, from the lower body, there's a sign that it's a sign that there's some trauma that lives there. Hmm. So as I'm imagining and experimenting with and playing with reimagining education, it's, it's these kinds of cultural expressions like what if we don't sit at desks? What if we sit on the floor in circles? What if instead of one person at the front of the room, what happens when we sit in a circle? What happens when we sit outside? Um, mm. What happens when we don't sit? <laughs> mm. It's that sort of level of granularity that cultural somatics is inviting me into and the reimagining piece of hmm. how to be designing systems differently. Kate Morales on AIJCast. We'll be back with more of our conversation in just a moment, but first, a quick word. As always, we invite you to visit our website, AIJCast.com, where you can find more information about our artists and our guests. Do keep in mind that many of our artists have had to cancel their events due to the impact of COVID-19. Quite a few of them are taking advantage of platforms like Facebook and Instagram to hold live performances. And of course, many churches have moved their community worship to online ministry. We will try and do our best to keep our calendar up to date with some of these events. For others, of course, we suggest you check with local conditions to see whether or not the event is happening. And I do want to give a big shout out to our friend Terrence Lester over at Love Beyond Walls. Terrence has had a team of folks installing portable washing stations throughout Atlanta for those folks who are experiencing homelessness so that they can keep their hands clean in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic. If you want to support Love Beyond Walls through this work, you can find out more at their website, lovebeyondwalls.org. And of course, you can find out more information on our website, AIJCast.com. And now, back to more of our conversation with Kate Morales. This seems to me to be an invitation to step into a conversation about um, your work with Ecoversities. Yeah, so Ecoversities um, began in 2015, and... Two friends and colleagues of mine, um, Kelly Timi and Udi Mandel, were making a, a documentary about people designing reimagined learning spaces around the world. And they got done filming and realized that everyone needed to meet each other um, and connect with each, with each other. And um, what has followed is gatherings where we 
come together without an agenda and do just that. And it's really messy and there's so much unlearning that happens in them. And I imagine us as a new cultural body that's forming globally, getting to meet each other for the first time. And it's like a body that's starting to get connected with, with each other and see hmm. itself fully and get to witness um, what's, what's get to witness itself, what's come, what's in the system. Hmm. And I think that one of the, one of the most exciting things about connecting particularly transnationally is that the systems that we're up against are deeply connected transnationally. There, you know, corporations, transnational corporations are, uh, making experiments in small economies to scale up into large economies that are having mm. negative impacts on each of us. So I think in this moment, it's vitally important that people who are reimagining or resisting or um, recreating new new systems also be connecting to each other at that scale. In your bio on your website, one of the things that you mentioned about yourself is you're a college walkout. It's true. And I'm curious if there are dots that connect from one to the other and if you'd be willing to talk about that a little bit. That That is true. I, um, in university, started studying alternative education at the time I was using, air quotes, alternative <laughs> education. And um, the further I got into it, the more I wanted, well, the people who I was seeing come before me who were advocating for people to walk out and redesign and reimagine their own learning and really reclaim our own learning. A lot of those folks had university degrees and without judging everyone's path is the way, the way it is. Sure. I wanted to see if I could try walking out and to see if the net the net would kind of catch me hmm. in the way of like hearing the call and saying feeling a yes just really feeling a full-bodied yes hearing the call to walk out hearing the call to walk out and to walk my own path of living and learning hmm. and the voices of my parents and my teachers and everybody <laughs> formative who was like, but how are you going to get a job? But what are you mm. going to do to survive? What are you going to do mm. to make a living? This deep, deep fear that living your calling has to be, has to be within a capitalist sort of exchange. Mm. I had so deeply internalized that, that taking this leap of walking out and not knowing if where I was going was going to make me any money or if anyone was going to hire me without a degree, or uh, if I was going to be seen as valuable, what I was doing was gonna be seen as valuable within society. It was a huge leap of faith. Mm. And I somehow, by some graces, have ended up being a working paid artist. But I don't think that I would have even given myself the space to see that opportunity and say yes to it if I hadn't done years and years and years of um, unpacking my baggage around and decolonizing mm -hmm. around um, 
only feeling myself as valuable based on my degree or my mm-hmm. formal education experience. Mm-hmm. So now as a working artist who has moved out to the Bay Area where rent is $6 million a, a day. <laughs> it's true. Um, there, There is the part in which whatever our political, theological, economic views, we are living in a society that is a capitalist society. And so there are places where we do have to play by those rules to a certain extent. How, how do you answer that question now to those naysayers back when you were walking out? Well, one thing that I've seen that just feels like a trend across this generation is that you don't need a degree to get mm. a job anymore in in, in many fields. I, I think mm. that, you know, of course, there's lots of room for nuance. And I think what people started those those early adapters and those people who were <clears throat> 20 years ago designing alternatives and designing experiments really over time as those um, started connecting together and started creating new networks the influence that I think that had on the sort of dominant culture of education to career <clears throat> that arc is that even mainstream education now is talking about 21st century curriculum where the goal is not memorization, it's around creativity and collaboration and design. And um, I think that there's more space for young people getting jobs these days and more understanding that the experience that those jobs require hasn't necessarily come out of a classroom. I'm curious how those forces like your parents and others now look upon what you're doing. Um, I, they probably have new wrinkles because of it, <laughs> but they tell me that they're proud of me. <laughs> well, that's good. There you go. There they you are. Go. They are. So let's talk about your art and your work that you do. Um, You are a a graphic recorder, a visual facilitator. I know there are other ways of describing what you do. And I know that, and for people who may not be familiar with it, or people who may be kind of superficially familiar with it, such as me before you and I talked, the graphic recording piece is the piece that I'm most familiar with. Someone who does a a, a word slash picture version of an event that's going on and, and charts it um, in, in a visually capturing way. How did you first get into this work of graphic recording and, and uh, visual facilitation? <laughs> that's, a, that's a question I get a lot. Um, and I could start in so, so many different places. <clears throat> um, so let's just see where it starts today. <laughs> I was a facilitator all through college and university. I, I became a grassroots community organizer and started learning those skills there. I was a um, leader in an organization called the Mycelium School in about 2013, probably, is when it started. And there I met Matthew Williams and 
Stephen Lewis of then the Forum for Theological Exploration. And I was doing a world cafe with some of the other facilitators where it's a conversation methodology where people sit at tables and have a conversation. And then as they're talking, they're making notes on the on the table and then one person stays and hosts that table and then they switch and there's multiple layers of cross-pollination and then in the end there's a there's a graphic recording of it and that was my first encounter with graphic recording and so I got thrown up on the board to do the graphic recording because I have good handwriting and um, because I was halfway decent at drawing and you know another place where I tend to start this this story is that my mom is an artist, and uh, I say that not because I think I've inherited some kind of magical art gene, uh, but I, I did make it through my childhood believing that art was for uh, expressing yourself mm-hmm. and and not for just for those who somehow drew in it and it looked better than everybody else's. And, and also for grown-ups. And for grown-ups, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, that's another part of it. And Matthew and Stephen... Uh, sat me down and were like, you need to do this. And, you know, I was like, okay, you know, thank you. That's very kind. But I, I have a job, you know, I'm running a running an after school in a summer camp program right now. And they were, they, they just insisted and then were gracious enough to give me a job as I uh, made the shift to uh, become a working artist. And I, I am just so grateful to each of them for believing in in me and and giving me the tools I needed to develop my leadership in that way. So my my sort of elevator pitch for people who've never encountered graphic recording before is that I show up in a room and as in a conversation is unfolding, I'm I'm making I'm charting a map of it live in real time to helps people make connections and understand at a deeper level than what's just being spoken the mm. wisdom of the room. So Two of my mentors like to say that the wisest person in the room is the room itself. Hmm. And what my what I see my role in a room is is to allow that wisdom to be visible by all of the parts. And I have um, one of my teachers in the field. Her name is Kelby Bird. She describes what she does as generative scribing. And so she kind of reclaims this word. This has a lot of historical meaning of scribe. And she combines it with this idea that the art is a social practice. So there's a reason why we don't just receive the notes at the end of the session and then we make a picture about it. It's, mm. it's in real time. We're receiving feedback from the room. We're putting it interpreting it as marks on a paper people observe the marks on the paper that draws connections to something else and synthesis is happening it's co-evolving together in real time Mm. kate morales on aijcast you can find them online through their website as the crow flies design.com on our next episode part two of our conversation with Kate Morales. AIJ Cast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. We can only do what we do because of your support. So please do take just a moment and go to our website, AIJCast.com, and click on the link that says support. And we love to interact with you on social media. We are there on a multitude of platforms where you can find us at our handle, AIJCast. 
Our theme song is written and recorded by the band Mard Fame. Photography support comes from Ely at eleyphoto.com. And we are engineered, mixed, and produced by the Kafka-esque Al Mudif. Al couldn't wait to share with us about his first day at Clown College. I wanted to try walking out to see if the net would kind of catch me. And I'm your host, Marthane Sanders, encouraging you to go and create some beauty of your own. Peace! Thank you.